you would please remain standing as we consider God's word this morning as we're looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Before I read, let me simply make a statement that should help us see the theme for today's message and for this passage of scripture. The disciple is meant to be content with Christ and at the same time discontented, always hungering and thirsting. Our current sermon series is on this portrait that Jesus has painted in words that describe his disciple. Now God's word, Matthew 5, 3 through 6, the fourth beatitude. We'll begin with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, that they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God's perfect, powerful word revive our souls and our hearts this morning. You may be seated. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do come humbly before your word this morning as we are considering this fourth beatitude. And I pray, Father, that you might remind us and that you might even work in us a voracious appetite for Christ and for living righteous lives. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Contentment is often elusive. Now, I'm not speaking of worldly contentment. I think the case is pretty clear that wealth, materialism, reputation, and all those things that the world looks to to bring about satisfaction or contentment simply will never satisfy. The contentment to which I make reference today, the contentment that we see in the scriptures is the contentment that the one united to Christ in saving faith is to have. One would think that the disciple of Jesus Christ, that the followers of Jesus Christ, that the Christian, that the church, that we would be the most contented people in human history. But we struggle with contentment. We have an all-satisfying, all-sufficient Savior, but it seems to be so difficult for us to rest in Him in our circumstances. Over the years, fellow believers have confided in me that they struggle with contentment. I have episodes in my own life where I can be very discontented. So it's common for those of us in the church, though we know that we should be content in Christ, but we struggle with being content in circumstances. Take this pandemic for instance. Have you struggled with being content 
with our daily lives being turned upside down are you content right now with wearing your mask in worship how often have we expressed frustration with the things that we have to do today in order to worship in order to go about our daily lives masks social distancing it is difficult it's a struggle to be content with God in our circumstances well desiring to be content and struggling to find contentment is not a new phenomenon it's not a modern problem a Puritan pastor by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs in 1648 wrote a book and the title says it all the rare jewel of Christian contentment Burroughs writes this about the meaning of contentment therefore the meaning must be I find a sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me. He further writes, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Apply Burroughs' definition to this pandemic and even to how we worship in light of it. Contentment, therefore, to put it simple, is to find satisfaction in Christ. And I suspect that most of us here today would readily admit that finding contentment in every circumstance is a rare jewel indeed but the Bible calls us to be content with Christ at the same time the Christian the disciple is meant to be discontented actually craving not at all being satisfied with where we are in progressing in the Christian life this this lack of contentment this this lack of being satisfied is what is what Jesus speaks about in this particular beatitude and today we'll be looking at what I thought about titling this sermon uh, the rare jewel of Christian discontentment but I didn't want to compete with a Puritan that was well respected so it's simply the voracious appetite of a disciple. We want to look at that today and really look at this beatitude in three ways. An appetite for the wrong thing, happiness. An appetite for the right thing, righteousness. But at the end of the day, it's an appetite for Christ. Those three things is what we'll consider today. You know, it is so easy for us to hunger and thirst for the wrong thing. 
I like to think of myself as one who eats healthy, and yet even though I desire to eat healthy, it's amazing how powerful my craving is for very unhealthy foods. A double chocolate cake instead of carrots. Pulled pork barbecue, and I've just been experimenting for the first time with actually uh, smoking ribs. So pulled pork barbecues and baby back ribs instead of tofu. French fries. The pandemic has caused a resurgence of French fries in our household. French fries instead of steamed broccoli. The question for me is not, do I have an appetite? I do. The question is, for what do I crave? It is easy to crave the wrong foods and drink for a healthy diet. And the same sort of question applies to life in general. All people have an appetite, a craving, something that we seek that is going to make us satisfied. The real question is not do people have an appetite, the real question is what do people seek for satisfaction? What do they crave? For what do they hunger and thirst? It is, it is not only easy for people to crave the wrong thing, it really is natural to crave the wrong thing as a function of the fall, the natural state of man. The beatitude of the worldly person, I'm using the term worldly person simply to distinguish those who do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, those who are not disciples, those who are unsaved. So the worldly person, this is his or her beatitude. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. Everyone wants to be happy. Happiness is, in some, many respects, the chief end of natural man, the goal of those who are outside of Christ. We mentioned at the beginning of this series that God originally made Adam and Eve to be happy and sometimes we're ashamed to talk about the fact that yeah we desire to be happy when in fact it is part of how God made us but the problem is when happiness becomes the goal that which one seeks to find satisfaction we find enough proof all around us that if the pleasure mania, that is, this quest for happiness, really brought happiness, then our country, our culture, would be the happiest in the world. Happiness is the goal for the medicines that we take. Happiness is the goal for the food and drink that we consume. Happiness is the goal for the work we do, for the people we pursue in relationship for the rec for the recreation we seek happiness is the goal for the power we try and amass the reputations we 
try to be happiness is even the goal in so many cases for the counseling we seek and the counseling we give you have a right to be what happy blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness characterizes our age it characterizes every person outside of Christ and the inevitable conclusion of blessed are blessed or happier those who seek happiness is for they will never be satisfied Martin Lloyd-Jones makes another powerful one-line statement he said this whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you are doomed to misery. And that's exactly what the natural person does. They reject God, they reject God's goals, and they put happiness before God, happiness before righteousness. Happiness as the goal is much like a drug addict needing a greater fix more often. And like a drug addict, those who crave happiness will ultimately be consumed by the craving. Doomed to misery is the one who puts happiness as their goal. But here is something that we must not miss. The error of craving happiness sadly can be repeated by those of us who are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In terms of our beatitude, it is easy for us to crave the wrong thing. It is easy for us to replace righteousness with happiness and follow the value system of the world and not that of the kingdom of Christ. Believers may fall into the trap that, hey, I need to be happy even if it hurts my family, it hurts my church, it ruins my witness for Christ in the community. Everyone has a craving. Everyone has an appetite. Everyone has a craving for something that will bring satisfaction. And the real question is, for what do you crave? The disciple is meant to crave the right thing. And craving the right thing means that we will find satisfaction, satisfaction in Christ. And at the same time, we will be dissatisfied. We will be discontent. Jesus tells his disciples, you are meant to crave righteousness. This is the goal. And before we go much further, we need to understand what does Jesus mean by righteousness? Jesus' use of righteousness is not primarily about what, what we hear so much about today, social justice. Now, the minor prophets, they 
called Israel to have a concern for the oppressed and to seek justice for them. The church today should have a concern for the oppressed and we, in a biblical way, seek justice for them. We not only need to understand biblically what is justice and the plight of the oppressed, we also need to seek today biblical remedies for that. But the bottom line is, Jesus is not talking about social justice. It may be included in this, but this is not his primary focus in this beatitude, nor is this beatitude primarily about the disciples' uh, position before God in Christ as righteous. Now, we know this to be the doctrine of justification by faith. In justification, God declares a sinner free from the guilt of sin, pardoned because of the merits of Christ's atoning work. Christ took the guilt of our sin and paid for it in full. And we are free from that guilt. And also in justification, God declares us and accepts us as righteous on the merits of Christ's perfect life, his perfect righteousness that is imputed to us through faith. Thus, we are declared legally righteous. And in a very real sense, we, our struggle with regards to justification is to rest in it. To rest in our position in Christ before God. He's declared us. We can't add anything to it. We're not to hunger and thirst for it. We are already right before God in Christ. The righteousness to which Jesus speaks about here in this beatitude is this moral or experiential righteousness. It is a craving for righteous living. It is a hungering and thirsting, we, we may say, for being further sanctified. And sanctification just simply is being enabled, it's a work of God in which we participate, but being enabled more and more to die into sin and to live into righteousness as our confession says. Therefore, we may understand that the righteousness that Jesus speaks about here in this way, blessed are those who pursue sanctification and, and, and righteous living. We just turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul makes this statement therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation we can replace sanctification for salvation that really is the is what paul is meaning here work out your own sanctification with fear and trembling for it is god's work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Sanctification is a work of God, and we have a part to play in pursuing righteous living by faith. The righteousness to which Jesus refers in this beatitude can be described in Paul's terms in Colossians 3 as, as putting to death sin. Paul says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It is working, it is pursuing by faith 
to live rightly before God. It is turning from sin, confessing it, repenting of it. And then Paul also says in Ephesians 4 that it, it is about being renewed in Christ. He says this in chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to work out our own sanctification, participate in God's work of putting to death sin in us and enabling us to live more and more into righteousness. We are to flee from sin, to put it to death by turning from it. We are to put off the old self and put on the new self renewed in Christ Jesus. And the psalm that Carl read portions of earlier, that whole psalm really is the, the saint of God coming before the word of God and loving it. The treasure that it is, the truth that it is, the power that it is. And just falling in love with God and his word and, and, and did you sense the, the craving of the psalmist to obey and to pursue righteousness? If you didn't, please read it again. Read the whole psalm. But just a couple of verses. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. It's not blessed are those who are happy. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, who walk in his ways. Jesus says to us, righteous living, walking in God's ways must be our goal. That's what characterizes the disciple. And it must be our goal because it's God's goal for us. We must be reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, when he says this, even as he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Happy? No. Holy and blameless. That's God's goal for us. We are already accepted as holy and blameless in the courtroom of heaven today because God has declared us justified on the merits of Christ Jesus. And we are being made more and more like we are considered to be in heaven today in Christ as we progress in this process of sanctification. We are being made more and more holy and blameless. Never perfect in this life, we don't believe in perfectionism. But as God is going about his work of sanctifying us, as we are by faith participating in this work of sanctification, 
Sin is being put to death in us. We are being enabled more and more to live unto righteousness. Quite frankly, it may not appear that way. It may appear that we take two steps forward and three steps backward. That's the dynamic of the Christian life. But God is at work. He is bringing about his purposes of sanctification. He is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ today. If we are to grasp our Lord's meaning, writes Samuel Storms, we must envision the worst imaginable condition of physical hunger and thirst, the sort we often see in third world countries. Here Jesus said, blessed are those whose appetite and thirst for righteousness is as intense as that star as that of starving children for food and water. Are we as hungry for righteousness as they are for food? Are we willing to go to any lengths necessary to obtain it? Is there anything you are not willing to give up to get it? Do you feel in your heart the same depth of spiritual anguish for lack of righteousness that a starving child feels in his stomach for lack of food and in his mouth for lack of water. These are penetrating questions that Sam Storms asks in light of this beatitude. And we would do well to consider is our craving to be righteous as intense as our craving when we are starving for something to eat and to drink. It should be more intense in reality than physical hunger and thirst. A disciple is meant to be content in Christ today to find, as Burroughs said, a sufficiency of satisfaction in our own heart through the grace of Christ that is in us in every circumstance, including wearing a mask in worship and social distancing in public. At the same time, the disciple is meant to be discontented, never satisfied with his prog progress in pursuing righteous living. We are to always be hungering and thirsting for more righteous living as we come face to face with our own failures and unrighteousness, when we are convicted of when we've replaced happiness or replaced righteousness with happiness, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness as we grasp more and more the grace that has been given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only frees us from the guilt of sin forever, but has credited to us his perfect righteousness, which we will never lose, and on which we have a standing before holy God for all eternity. What Jesus has done for us in and of itself is enough to compel us to never be satisfied with where we are in living the Christian life. And yet we can be so complacent 
That's why I say that the rare jewel of Christian discontentment may be as rare as the jewel of Christian contentment because we can be so easily satisfied. And we need to repent of that. We need to want more. We need to want more today of what we are already considered to be in heaven. We should never stop hungering and thirsting for more righteousness today. We are content with Christ and we are to be discontent with where we are in the Christian life. We should always be hungry and thirsting for more. Chiefly, and here's really the point of the whole sermon, the third point. Our hunger and thirsting for righteousness does not begin with hungering and thirsting for doing the things of Christ, i.e., righteous living, it really begins, first and foremost, with hungering and thirsting, craving for Christ himself, an appetite for Christ. I would take you to one passage, one verse of another, or two verses of another psalm, Psalm 42. When I read this, some of you would think of the old worship song we used to sing. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for righteous living. It's not what it says. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Hungering and thirsting for righteous living really flows from a voracious appetite for hungering and thirsting for Christ himself. So, a little bit about my marriage. I am pretty good, I would say, at doing the things that demonstrate love for my bride, Renee. I try to help out around the house, let's say cleaning up after a meal, and Renee appreciates that, and it really does help. And so I'm pretty good at doing things like that. I'm pretty good at doing the things of showing love to Renee. But in doing those things, oddly enough, I can and often do ignore her. After 38 years of marriage, I still struggle with being fixated on pursuing the things that demonstrate my love for her while ignoring her. And the lesson is simply this. When I realize that, and I begin to make corrections, and I begin to pursue her, she feels loved, more love than she would ever feel if, she just, if I just simply did things for her. But when I actually pursue her, she feels more loved. My love for her grows. And guess what? 
I find much more joy and energy and motivation, right motivation, for doing those things that demonstrate love for her. It's a simple principle of marriage. It is the principle that is behind much of what we're talking about today with regards to this appetite for Christ. I treat Jesus very much like I treat Renee in this respect. I can be very busy doing the things of Christ while ignoring Christ himself. I am, and those of you who know me, you understand this, I am a man, but I act like Martha, who was busy doing things for Jesus, and I'm not very much like Mary, who was sitting at Jesus' feet. Here's what I'm trying to say. We need to put first things first. Seek Christ, that's the first thing. Pursue him, that's the first thing. Fall in love with him, that's the first thing. Fall in love with him all over again, that's the first thing. Pursue him, and when we do, our love deepens for him. We will find the grace and power and energy and joy and appetite for righteous living. That is, doing the things of Christ, being obedient, reading our Bibles, praying, worship, giving, ministry, all those things. First things first. Have an appetite for Christ. Pursue Him. Crave Him. And those things that we must do, those things that we're commanded to do, those things that we should do, will flow out of that in power and in effect. Thomas Watson emphasizes first things first. Pursue Christ before the things of Christ. Here's what Watson said. Another Puritan pastor. Hunger is satisfied with nothing but food. Bring a hungry man flowers, music, tell him pleasant stories, Nothing will content him but food. So a man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness says, Give me Christ or I die. Lord, what wilt thou give me seeing I go Christless? What though I have wealth, honor, and esteem in the world? All is nothing without Christ. Show me the Lord, and it will suffice me. Let me have Christ to clothe me, Christ to feed me, Christ to intercede for me. While the soul is Christless, it is restless. Nothing but the water springs of Christ's blood can quench its thirst. Do you ever wonder why you have so, you just feel so powerless in living righteously? It very well could be that you've not put first things first. You've not just pursued Christ. That you don't have an appetite for Him. When we pursue Christ, we find we want more of Him. And Watson also says this, The pious soul loves God and therefore thirsts for Him. The more he has of God, the more he still desires. A sip of wine of the Spirit 
whets the appetite for more. Do you have an appetite for Christ today? Do you want more of Christ today? The same for me. Thus, if we really want to be what we are meant to be, a disciple who hungers and thirsts for righteous living, a disciple who faithfully and passionately does the things of Christ and the things of Christ's kingdom, we must first hunger and thirst for Christ himself. We must ask ourselves the question, is my craving for Christ above all else? Give me Christ or I die. If you leave with anything outside of Scripture today, I wish for you to leave. I want you to leave with Scripture. But outside of Scripture, I want you to leave with Watson's words, give me Christ or I die. That's it. That describes a man who is craving Jesus. First and foremost. And brothers and sisters, that should be our craving. Give me Christ. Nothing, nothing else will satisfy. I can read the Bible every day. I can pray for three hours or five like Luther on a bad day. I can do all of these things. I can give all of my money, and if I don't love Christ, I will die. It's all for naught. Give me Christ or I die. The disciple is meant to be content with Christ. As Burroughs said, to find a sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me in every circumstance. And at the same time, I am to be discontented, dissatisfied. We are meant to crave more and more of Christ. And the result of craving more and more of Christ is more and more craving for righteous living. That's what Jesus is saying here and Jesus says one more thing that we'll end on he says after blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied and we have to ask a question in light of what we've talked about thus far will we ever be satisfied and the answer is not in this life we will be satisfied with Christ but we will never be satisfied with our love for him and our progress in living righteously before him. But a day is coming when we will be fully satisfied. Revelation 7, 16 through 17, they shall no longer... They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There is a day when our cravings will cease. And we will be fully satisfied. And we live today as we sang about that glorious day, we live today. We're actually celebrating that glorious day today, the Sabbath day, as we're anticipating that day when Christ returns and gathers his church and ushers in the eternal state. And the promise that we just read 
will be fully brought about. Until then, the disciple is meant to be content with Christ and at the same time discontented with craving him and craving our progress in righteous living. And thus, the disciple is meant to hunger and thirst for Jesus and righteous living more and more until we all get to heaven. Let's pray. Father, give us grace that we might be known as people who have an appetite for Christ to the extent that we would say, give me Christ or I die. In his name we pray. Amen.